0: You're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, online at medicalschoolhq.net, session number eight. Hello, and welcome back to another session here at the Medical School HQ Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gray, and we are the podcast about medical school. From the pre-med process through residency. We hope to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. Today I have two things for you. I have a great interview with a postback student. He, uh, Torre is a postbac student at Charles Drew University, which is affiliated with UCLA. He's a former teacher, similar to our last interview of a kind of a non-traditional pre-med student, Russell, back in episode six, session six. Torre uh, has been a teacher. We're going to talk about uh, how he was published as a pre-med student. We're going to talk a little bit about the importance of uh, asking the right kind of questions throughout the whole pre-med process. And uh, he's got a ton of great information that he shares. It's a little bit of a longer interview, but I hope you listen And listen to the whole thing because he's got a ton of great stuff to share. The first thing I want to share with you is a question that was called into our voicemail, our podcast question line. Uh, Anybody can call in a question. The number to call in a question is 617-410-6747. If you call that number, leave a voicemail. We can play it here on the podcast and share the answer with everybody. So this question, I will play for you right now. Hi, this is Delvin Marion. I'm a junior in college, college from Dover, Delaware, and I just had a quick question. What is your take on taking community or technical college courses to fulfill
1: your medical school prerequisites? Thank you for your time.
0: All right, thank you, Delvin, for the question. So he asked about taking community college credits to fulfill the medical school requirements such as chemistry, biology. And to answer the question is to answer it to say it depends. Uh, back in episode five, uh, we had an interview with Rich from oldpremeds.org. You can you can uh, get that session at medicalschoolhq.net slash session five. And during that session, we actually talked about community college credits. And the problem with community college credits is that medical school admissions committees see that it was a community college that you took the classes at. And you can get an A, but they don't really look at that as a true A because they, they know it's not, that typically it's not as rigorous of a course as at a, a full four-year university. So... That's one of the problems, and the other big problem is that not every medical school accepts community college credits as um, credit for their requirements. So if you're thinking about taking community college classes to fulfill the requirements, if you need to do that, then call the medical schools which you are interested in applying to and talk to them about it. Some may be lenient, some may flat out tell you no, or some may say they don't care. A grade is a grade. So that's the answer for uh, Delvin in Dover. Again, if anybody has any questions they want to call and have answered here, number 617-410-6747. I want to break into the interview now with Torre. Like I said, it's a little bit longer, but... Uh, ton of great information. I began the interview asking Torre whether or not he was still teaching during his postback bac program.
1: Um, yes, yes and no. I, um, I just somewhat finished an uh, 11-year career in education. I'm still on the list as a substitute teacher uh, with the school district out here, but really working, um, the work that I'm doing in the post program is my main Focus. So I'm kind of halfway in education still, but mostly doing the work um, to get into medical school.
0: When did you start your post-bac program?
1: I started the post-bac program in the fall of 2011. And um, I started taking uh, three classes a semester. And I started with general biology, general chemistry, and uh, pre-calculus. And then the following semester, um, bio, chem, and then calculus.
0: Okay. Are you taking a formal uh, post-bac program?
1: Yes, it is a formal post-bac program. Where? At Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science in Compton, California.
0: Compton. Not far from my hometown.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: Yeah, I grew up in um, Redondo Beach.
1: Oh, excellent. Excellent.
0: Uh, Okay, so you're in a formal post-bac program. Yes. You worked and kind of are still working in education for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Why go back into school?
1: Uh, so I think to understand that whole piece, I would have to take you back the year prior, or two years prior to me starting the actual postback bac program. Um, it was the spring semester, and I was in my... Had to be eighth year of teaching, and um, I actually had a mild heart attack, and I ended up being out of work for three months. And while I was out of work, um, on you know just relaxing and and, um, on vacation, if you will, I asked myself if this is something, this being education and being a teacher, if this was something that I still wanted to do. And the answer that I uh, came up with was no, it wasn't. I had a rewarding career as a, as a teacher, but I wanted to do something different. So in, in true fashion, in my own true fashion, I made a list. And um, on the list, I thought about going to medical school. But it wasn't really that type of, okay, well, yes, this is what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to run out and do it. I still took some more time to really think about it because, of course, I heard how difficult medical school was. I hadn't taken any of the requirements to actually get in. And so um, a new friend who had gone through a post program. And <clears throat> Charles Drew is affiliated with UCLA. They have the Drew UCLA Medical Education Program. And so I went to Charles Drew, and I met with a student who was in the postback program. I talked about the program for a bit, uh, did some other research with other post programs that were in the area. And then also I had an opportunity to speak with um, one of the students who was a first year, uh, that was fall 2010, first year in the program at Charles Drew. Um, and just kind of asked him about the program there. And he told me a lot of great things about it. And then I asked about volunteering and He said, "Well, you know, I have a friend who's volunteering at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, one of the level one trauma centers here in LA." And I said, "Okay, well, you know, I'll I'll consider volunteering. Of course, I mean, you know, I have to apply. I need to see if this is something I actually want to do." So, in March of 2010, I started um, volunteering with the Division of uh, Trauma Surgery, and that is when I actually made the decision that I really want to go to medical school. I enjoy what's going on here in the hospital. I, I, I enjoy the, the research that's taking place. I, I just enjoy this whole fast-paced uh, lifestyle. And so um, I put my application together, and I said if I got into the post program, then it's meant to be. And that March of 2011... I found out that I was admitted to the program, and I started in the fall. And the rest has been history.
0: Wow! So you you did a, a ton of research, which is outstanding. I, I think that's one of the flaws that a lot of people uh, going through the process they don't do enough research and actually get the answers to their questions. <laughs> you you had mentioned that you were volunteering with trauma surgery. Yes. It, what type of volunteering was that? Was that shadowing? Were you actually doing kind of free labor kind of work?
1: Um, so the the program at Cedar Sinai is called the Independent Student Volunteer Program. They have three different programs, but this program was probably the best because it allowed for a mix of um, student uh, volunteering and patient uh, patient shadowing, uh, physician shadowing, and volunteering. So, um, when I started out, it was on a Tuesday on Tuesdays was the rotation. So I would start off in the surgical intensive care unit with attending and the other surgical residents doing rounds on patients in the SICU. And then after we finished rounds, we would go to the surgical, um, uh, surgical clinic and we would get a chance to see patients who were going to either be admitted into the hospital, Uh, in the next few months, um, or patients who were uh, post-op were coming in for follow-up to, you know, check on them. And then also, because it was with the Division of Trauma Surgery, then, of course, if there was a trauma that came through, then we would, you know, go from the trauma, uh, excuse me, the surgical clinic to the ED. And if we had to take the patient up to the OR, then the patient would go to the OR. So it was a, it was a number of different things that happened in this particular, um, volunteering, uh, uh, assignment. Then on top of that, the attending that I was working with, he asked if I was interested in research. Well, I had never done any type of medical research before. And I said, sure, why not? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. Good you know? answer. <laughs> and I, I, and I, it's funny because when I talk to other, uh, other students, they, they're like, wow, you, that, that's what, that was your response. You, you I'm like, I, I didn't know anything about research. So when he said research, I said, okay, I, I guess I can try it out. And, um, it, it, it ended up being that the article was published and I was listed as an author. And he really told me, look, I know how difficult it is for you to make this decision to go back to medical school At 32. At that time, I was uh, 31. So I know how difficult it is for you to go back to 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 decide to go to medical school at this age. And research is something that a lot of medical schools want to see. They don't necessarily say it, but they really want to see it. And So if you're listed as an author uh, in an article that's published in a journal, um, that just puts another feather in your cap. And I didn't realize, you know, how important it was until um, one of the other, uh, his assistant in, in the office, She's another um, PhD level, or she has her PhD or applying or working on her PhD, but she's also applying to medical school. Um, she calls me and she says, oh, well, the, the article has been published and you're listed as an author. I said, okay. So I go to PubMed and sure enough, there it is. And there's my name. Like, Wow. That's a am- that's amazing, you know. So um, it 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 just it it was what it showed to me is that you you being myself, you are really on the right track, and there are people who are looking out for you. And despite this being a very difficult journey, and a lot of people say how difficult it can be, there have been many doors that have opened for me, and I have been really appreciative of. Um, the individuals that have been on the lookout, so this was just another uh, showing of exactly just that that people wanted to see me succeed in this whole process
0: yeah that's good and when when you say that the doors were open for you 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 obviously had to go knocking, correct yes
1: yes okay
0: so so you put in the work and it came back to you uh, in return
1: mm-hmm. Well, see the thing with that, I, I, there are many people that knock on doors and they get no response and they knock on a lot of doors and they get absolutely no response. So I I just, I feel that the universe just worked out in my favor. And the one thing that I will say about being a pre-med at this age, and it's, it's still very awkward to, to kind of say that, even though I've had another career. I went to undergrad. I went to grad school. um, But to still call myself at 32 a pre-med student is kind of funny. Um, But I think what people appreciate when I ask for information is that I'm not that somewhat obnoxious pre-med student. I I really ask information that I believe will be of a benefit to the person I'm asking. And then, you know, of course to myself, but you know, I want to find out information because I really just don't know a lot of the process of what it, you know, what it takes to actually get in. And I've been very genuine in, in, in what I'm saying to people when I ask for information. Uh, and so that's why I really feel that the, when I ask, when these doors that have opened up, uh, even though I've went knocking sometimes people when they knock, they just don't get the response that they're looking for uh and and I, you know down the road in the interview, I can talk about some of these very specifically about some of these doors that have uh that I felt have opened up okay. and I think will benefit um, will benefit me when it comes time for me to actually apply to medical
0: school do you think that your life experience the the fact that you're a non traditional student and have worked for a lot of your life now and um, y- you you have built relationships outside of medicine just in general in life. Do you think that has helped you with with how you approach the questions that you're asking and the contacts that you're making?
1: Absolutely. I, I think that um, you know when you ask questions that you can find answers to on the website, I don't think that on a school's website and you ask this, you know, you talking to an assistant dean or dean of admissions or dean of a medical school or someone who's connected to the school and you ask just very what I call low level questions. I think that you you waste that relationship that you could start with that person because it shows that you really haven't done the work needed. Uh, You haven't put in the work and you haven't put in the thought um that that would be needed to you know to ask the type of questions that you and and get that garner the type of answers that you need, um, I think that when I come and I talk to these individuals, one the conversation is genuine, and i 'm not here to just you know, steal information i 'm here really to hear about your experience, you know because when you build that type of relationship it hopefully it's just a conversation. It's not, um, a list of canned questions. We, you, you might ask a question, but then from, from our conversation, um, then the other questions come up on my part and other questions come up on the other person's part. So yes, I do believe that, that my life experience has helped a lot in, uh, the type of interactions that I've had with people, medical students. Uh, people affiliated with hospitals, people affiliated with medical schools to the point where individuals tell me you would be a great fit at our medical school. We haven't even talked about my grades. We haven't even talked about an MCAT score. Just you would be a good fit. I could could see you fitting in with the mission of our school and um, just fitting in with the people at our school despite your age you would fit in. So I really believe that my experiences have, has, uh, brought me to that point where people see that and they value that.
0: Wow. Very good. Nice. What, um, when, when you started shadowing and volunteering on the, uh, like in the, the surgical ICU and, and other places, mm-hmm. you being the sore thumb, so to speak, sticking out, with you, with your age, right? How were you? Um, how were you accepted into that circle?
1: Um. So you know, it, it, it's it's kind of funny that um, you know I've always watched a lot of medical show dramas, <laughs> and so my favorite show, of course, is is Grey's Anatomy.
0: Okay, and, I, I gotta stop you there. Okay. Don't say you want to be a doctor because you saw Grey's Anatomy. No,
1: no, no. Absolutely
0: <laughs> not. No, in your absolutely. interviews.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But w- what I, what I take away from that, I mean, be- besides the the weird drama that that happens, there are definitely some things that some correlations that I've seen between what happens on the show and what has actually played out in my time volunteering and really just kind of being that sponge on the wall, not really getting in someone's way, listening, being attentive, taking notes. Those are things that I I noticed on the show. So awkwardly enough, that's kind of what I tried to do or not try. That is what I did. I made sure that I, I was quiet, but because I wasn't a resident, and, um, you know, I wasn't another attending, I tried to ask questions if they were relative. But if, if it wasn't, then I just, I wrote in, my, I had a little notebook that I kept all the time in my uh, scrub pocket. And when I had a chance to talk to the attending on the side, you know, I would talk, I would ask questions, you know, we saw this patient in room XYZ, um, you mentioned this, could you elaborate a little bit more? So I think because of that, um, and because of Uh, really wanting to know more information, I think that's what made me be receptive with, um, uh, with the surgical team. And also, again, noticing from medical show dramas that you want to make in whatever capacity I could do as a, as a volunteer, you want to make your, uh, the intern look good. You want to make the chief resident look good. So if that meant that, hey, I saw this piece of paper that you were looking for. It's on the desk. Let me run down the hall and get it. Or if this patient needs a blanket, let me go ahead and grab that because I don't want this patient complaining and then when the attending comes and then, you know, so I try to do little things that I have seen or just kind of the intuition just kind of kicked in. And because of that, they were more willing to say, hey, why don't you step over here and take a look at what's going on here or let me show you how to do this or this is how a knot is tied or this is this is what these labs actually mean Instead of me being in their face and and grilling them about the information, they were more receptive to pull me in and say these are the things that you should know. I mean I you know they're like you, you it might not be relevant now as a pre-med student, but five years from now when you are uh, a third year and you're on your surgical rotation, maybe this would have stuck in your head and you'll know, when someone says this, when the attending asks you a question or your chief resident or whomever asks a question, then you'll know the answer to that. So I really don't think that my age um, made me stick out as a sore thumb. I think that in my mind it, it, it helped because I just had that intuition that kicked in and just said, okay, you you're observing certain things that are taking place. So you know when to step in and you know just, hey – attending looks real mad right now or things are not really good. So you just need to be quiet and just stay in the back and talk to no one until someone speaks to you. So
0: yeah, that's great uh, advice for anybody shadowing. Uh, That's great advice for medical students. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's great advice for interns. Uh, It's, I, I mean, that's, it's exactly how it is. You, you, you need to know your role in the room, in the operating room, in the patient room. And uh, if it's not your time, then um, be a shadow. Right. So, right. Good, good, good. So you went into teaching to begin with. Yes. Why didn't you go into medicine to begin with?
1: Um, I didn't go into medicine because... The department at my university was not supportive. And I felt that I did not have that, um, I guess, gunner mentality that it seems that is, uh, that's in medicine. Had I really done a lot of research, I would have found that there different personalities in medicine and my personality would have fit. Um, but I also was very much interested in the humanities as a, as a major. I did not want to major in science and the advisors at my university had never had anyone that had majored in, I majored in English, so they never had anyone who had majored in English taken the prereqs to apply to medical school, taken the MCAT and actually gotten in. So because that was something that was very foreign to advisors and foreign to the department and foreign to my, depi- excuse me, a foreign to my advisor in my department, um, I decided not to pursue it. And I also had taken that as a sign that it just wasn't meant to be. But you know, of course, as life takes you on this winding journey and things happen, um, then if you're not really in what you're supposed to be in, and 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 being in, I mean, in the career that you're supposed to be in, um, then things kind of nag at you, and you start asking these questions like, "Is this really what I'm supposed to do?" And if not, what is it that I what, what is it that I'm supposed to do? And you know, I, I think prior to having the heart attack, I was at a in yoga class, and there was a um, there was a picture, and it had a little brief saying that said, "If you can do anything without fail, what would it be?" And you know, you see these things, and you just file them away. You don't really think about them. But then, as I made that list while I was on 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 my time off, and recovering that kind of popped in my head and i thought to myself you know you can do anything anything in this life is a, is available to you if you want to do it and you could do this without fail if you just if you look forward just keep looking forward don't look back even if there're mistakes that you make don't look back because if the door opens up then that means it was meant for you to be it was things were meant to be and that's just kind of how I really have thought about all of this. And, um, you know, I, I said that, well, I guess it's time for me to go into, into medicine. And this is, you know, this, this road is, it kind of brought me back to where I'm at now.
0: That seems to be a, a, a common thread with a lot of people is the lack of Pre-med advising that they get, unfortunately, it, it happened. It happened to me. Uh, my advisor said, "Don't, don't even apply to medical school." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a white. I'm a white male. There's no chance I'll get into medical school. Right. So, um, it's it's kind of incredible, and and just starting out on this journey with with what I'm doing with the medical school HQ is is trying to figure out um, almost where pre-med advisors get their knowledge from, get their information from if there's a, a central um, pre-med advising committee <laughs> or um, foundation that that spreads this information or if they're kind of left on their own and they, they gather the information the same way kind of everybody else does. So it's it's interesting because it, there is a lot of misinformation out there even mm-hmm. among the, the quote-unquote professionals.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that there, there are two things that I did while I was off. I mean, of course, research for post back schools, but research and just, I just bought a lot of books. I mean, I, I have at least 10 books that are related to the medical profession. Um, just talking about what intern life was like, of course, you know, Atul Gawande is, is a book that a lot of uh, pre-med students read, but then just just other books that are out there. But there there have been two books that I will say I, I, I recommend to any pre-med student. And one book is Medical School Confidential. And of course, I mean, it, it pretty much does, you're doing exactly what Medical School Confidential would tell a, a pre-med student to do, you know, kind of giving you an outline. But for me at the time, I didn't know anything. So this book tells you exactly what you need. It, it tells you about um, being a pre-med as a post student or being a pre-med as an undergrad. It tells you about what is the MCAT, how is it structured, what is AMCAS, when do you submit AMCAS. Um, it tells you about match day, what goes into match day. It tells you about residency. It tells you about what happens after residency. So it would. I read this book from cover to cover. And before applying, I, I knew I was armed with all the information that I all the courses that I would need to take, despite people tell, oh, you need to take Cell Bio or you need to take this course or that course before you take the MCAT. After this book really said, these are the four courses that you will need to take to apply to any medical school. There might be some derivation here or, there, here or there with math courses or a semester of this or a semester of that. But for the most part, this is what you'll need. The other book that I picked up <clears throat> and I ordered and I happened to find online for $5 uh, was the IMSAR. I had no idea that this book existed. I didn't know what it was. But it gave me an opportunity to look at every medical school in the U.S., in Canada, and in the Caribbean. So that I can arm myself with all the information that I needed so that when I talked to a pre-med advisor and mind you, I hadn't had a pre-med advisor yet. I hadn't gotten into the program yet. Um, But when I talked to that person that I would be armed with the information because if there's one thing I don't like, and perhaps it's my background as a teacher, I never liked being without information and I never liked being ill prepared. So when I hear advisors telling students that you shouldn't apply because you don't have this certain MCAT score or this certain GPA. I tend to, I tend to remind students and it's very hard to remind a pre-med student who's an undergrad. That's 19, 18, 19, 20 years old because they're, you know, you're their colleague. And so they're listening to another adult who might be the same age as you, but you know, you as the other person, you have not reached the same uh, level as that their advisor that, Getting into medical school is not about um, it's not about averages. It's not about an average gPA. It's not about an average MCAT score because there are schools that accept schools accept students on ranges. there are a range of of GPAs and a range of MCAT scores and a range of other things that uh, it takes to get into medical school and this is a conversation I had with my advisor as well. I said, well, you know you want to look at my GPA from post back, but you have to remind you have to remember that I'm 32. I have 10 years of work experience. I've had, uh, two years of volunteer work at the hospital. Um, and I have two master's degrees that I've done very well near 4.0 in both programs. Um, uh, and I just, I have a wealth of other things to bring to the table besides a GPA and an MCAT score. Although those are important, um, medical schools see more to me than, than just those two factors. And so, you know, I've been armed with that information. I try to share that information with other people. Um, Sometimes it falls on deaf ears, but uh, I think for me, this is what makes me so confident. These two books and the knowledge in these two books have made me so confident because I know without a shadow of a doubt, these are the schools that I will apply to despite my MCAT score, because I've read their mission statement. I've gotten in contact with deans at the medical school and had, and this is what I wanted to talk about earlier, but, you know, had long conversations with, um, there were 20 schools that I was interested in applying to, and eight of the schools responded back, and they wanted to have a phone conversation with me. And, you know, our phone conversation lasted anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours for some of the schools. And those individuals said, you know, Again, you're a really good fit and we look forward to you applying to our school um, because it seems like you fall right in line with what our mission statement is for our university and um, you know your your wealth of experience that you would bring something to the table far more than someone who's just now starting out from undergrad. So I think that you have to use, you have to listen to your advisor, but at the same time, going into medicine, and I'm sure you can agree that it takes it. You have to be, um, for and you have to come up with a plan for yourself and you can't rely on someone else to come up with a plan for you. Um, you have to somewhat listen to what other people say, but then at, at the end of the day, you have to make your, uh, your own path.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And that's one of the hardest things that, I try to uh, preach to people without preaching obviously <laughs> is especially on the forums, just you, you get new people pop up and say, Hey, I have, uh, I, I got a, a 25 on my MCAT or, 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 or they haven't even taken their MCAT yet. They, mm-hmm. they pop in and go, uh, I, uh, I graduated last year with, um, uh, an English degree, like yourself, I, I started to take some uh, science courses. I didn't do great, or I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor until I was a junior, and I'd already screwed up my first two years. And, mm-hmm. and the the first advice that I give them is find out what schools you might be interested in going to, and call them, right, and start building those relationships because the the system that you use to apply the Mm amcast system it's it's an electronic system Mm -hmm. and if they don't know you they don't know your name they don't know your story you will be filtered out absolutely because they they do filter based on gpa based on mcat that's that's the two biggest things two biggest scores uh that they use to filter people Absolutely, whether whether fair or not they just they have to when you get thousands of applications Mm -hmm. for 100 150 seats Yes. They they need to do that. And mm-hmm. if you don't want to be filtered out, you need to make the effort and open up to somebody and say, you know what? I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor until I was a junior. I thought I wanted to be a chemical engineer and it was too hard and I was depressed and it sucked and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And here's what I'm doing now since I've decided I wanted to do this. I have a 3.5 GPA, a 3.9 GPA, whatever. I'm working on doing this. What else do you suggest I do? And and start building those those relationships. And, and it, it really does pay off in the end. Right. And, and that's what it sounds like it's done for you as well. You have those relationships. And and I'll talk to you, I'll ask you in a second what, what your scores were. But it sounds like you, you had those kind of conversations with people.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely did. And <clears throat> it, w- what was interesting about uh, the conversations was that grades and MCAT scores, they never came up. And, you know, you're I, well, I hadn't taken the MCAT, so that couldn't have come up. But what I wanted to do is just have someone else acknowledge that my plan made to – I'm a planner. That's, that's just what I do. And so I wanted to, I wanted to have someone acknowledge that the plan that I was setting myself on the course of action was a course that was realistic. And because I saw other pre-med students who were taking four classes in one semester and studying for the MCAT, I mean, four classes, both semesters, studying for the MCAT, you know, and I just did not want to fall into that, into that trap. So, um, I wanted to be very clear. This is what I'm doing. I really have thought about this very logically. You know, Can you give advice? Resoundingly, everyone said, well, one, the plan that you've come up with, the two classes that you're taking, physics and organic chemistry, and that's what I'm in now, uh, physics and organic chemistry, those are difficult courses. But because you're taking them and you are it's right before you start preparing for the MCAT, a lot of that information is going to be right, fresh on your brain. So that'll help. Um, the fact that you've finished volunteering, that helps, too. You know, you, you're, you have a longitudinal volunteering, not just volunteering because it looks good. And, and you know, I, I must say that, too, because <clears throat> I, I, never, I never do anything just to do it. If I volunteer my time, that's because I really want to volunteer my time. And, um, you know, I think I have about three volunteer assignments that I've worked on. And that's because I really, I really wanted to be committed to everything that I was I was doing. Um, but you know, it kind of goes back to something I said earlier about when doors open and people want to see you do well, and you know that it's something that's going to work out for you in a positive way when those sorts of things happen. <clears throat> and each conversation that I've had with. Um, The assistant deans at each school that I've talked to, the ones that have responded, um, they've been very positive and very genuine. And what it did for me was, you know, some schools of course you're not gonna they don't respond for whatever reason, but the schools that do respond, then they get a higher priority with me, with me wanting to actually complete my secondary or with me wanting to take the time to. Um, go to a second look or, or, or talk to other students there because they, although they were busy, took the time to contact me or make themselves available for me to contact. So those seven schools that, that got in contact with me, those are the seven schools that will take priority on my list when it's time for me to apply. The other ones, I can't necessarily say they will come off of my list. Some did. There are a few that did as a result of that. Um, but Those schools, you know, it's like okay. Well, you know, you if you don't feel if you don't feel enough time, or you don't think that it's I'm worthy for you to talk to on the telephone, or even communicate with by email, then I wonder how you treat your students. And I mean, this probably is is nothing, but to me, it meant something, and uh, I really appreciated the opportunity to. Talk to these individuals at, at these various schools because it just showed me that what you're saying in your mission statement and what you say on your website about wanting to ensure that students are successful, you're showing that to me by having a taking time out of your schedule to have a conversation with me about your school because it's about marketing. I'm I'm giving you an interview just as much as you're interviewing me. And that's another thing that. That I try to, you know, I, I have to realize is that when you get on the phone with someone and you're talking about yourself and you say, "Hey, I'm my name is Torrey Johnson. I'm from Charles Drew University's Postback Program." You're not only selling yourself, but you're selling Charles Drew University. So you have to do everything. I had to do everything that I could not to not to embarrass myself, but of course not to embarrass my university because that carries a lot of weight. And again, you asked something earlier about, you know, how does age? help in, um, or, or or detract, if you will, or both, um, when you're on rounds, this is the sort of thing where age helps you because you understand, okay, well, medical school, it, it can be somewhat like a, it's like a business and it could be, it has a lot of political elements to it. And if individuals don't find you worthy Um, or if you would, or or if you might embarrass your school that you're at now, then you have to think, what are they thinking about if they allow you to come to their school? So all of those things go into my mind when I go out, I contact schools and I have conversations with them because again, I'm not only marketing myself, but I'm also putting my university's name out there.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's, uh sales 101 is is life and (laughs) most people don't realize that everything you're doing you're selling and uh whether or not you're selling yourself during the application process and the interview process or later on when you're actually working as a physician you're selling treatment plans you're selling surgical plans you're selling Everything to patience and right. it's it's interesting it's it's definitely a skill that most people don't think about
1: <laughs> yes absolutely
0: so you are you've mentioned uh in our kind of uh our pre workup that you kinda are leaning towards uh m d schools or yes allopathic schools why yes. is that
1: um well uh, all of my mentors. Uh, have been MDs, and you know I, I feel like that that would be the direction that I would go. And also, you know, I haven't really I haven't shadowed a DO, and I have not um, read enough information. I guess one could say, well, if you haven't read enough information, how are you able to make a very clear decision that going to an MD school would be where you would want to go? I think that if I um if I had taken the time to actually go in that direction and and shadow a do, um, then I could I, I could make a decision to say, well, you know, I might want to go that route. Um, looking at the definition of of dos and knowing that there there's like a, a lot of manual manipulation, I don't know enough about what manual manipulation actually means and how that plays out in. Um, uh, in medical school and how that plays out in your time in residency and how that plays out in your time, um, you know, in your practice or in volunteering or what have you. So because I'm not really familiar with that, uh, and a lot of my mentors are MDs that I felt that that would be the direction that I would go.
0: Okay. All right. So that makes sense. So it's a, it's kind of a, not necessarily that you looked at both and decided you didn't want to do D.O. It's more of an experience and what you've been exposed to. Right, okay. right. That makes, makes total sense. What, what's what been your biggest obstacle so far?
1: <sighs> the biggest obstacle, I feel like it was two. Um, going back to school, and I, I had finished my last master's Five years ago, Um, but it was in a humanities area, it was in education. So I knew how to study and I knew how to prioritize, I knew how to write papers, obviously, Um, but it was very difficult coming into the sciences and with, I hadn't been in that background, had a science background, I hadn't been in a science classroom since my freshman year. That was 1998, um, freshman year of, of, of college, that is. So, 1998. And it was difficult to sit down and look at this dense information and really, really care about some of the information that, that, I, that I was reading, I had to study. Um so it made it a challenge even in the post postback it made it a challenge to want to look at some of that work and um one course my biology course it it was it was really difficult um science and uh, excuse me not science well chemistry and math they were they were pretty well but um the biology course I don't know it just it just kind of threw me for a loop especially since there's a lot of like you learn about plants and, and I, I I kept telling myself this is this is something I, I never no one brings this up when we're on uh on rounds with patients about plants this is not the type of biology that I that we talk about why are we learning this I mean I'm learning about how old a, a tree ring is like I've never heard the attending even mention that So even with chemistry, I never heard an attendee mention anything really specifically about chemistry. So you know, really seeing the connection between what I was studying and what I was seeing as a volunteer in the hospital, it made it very difficult to want to stay up many hours and and do the work that I was doing. And sometimes I think that I was. I hesitate to say the word uh, depressed. I guess I was I was um, I was missing what, my old life, and but I had to remind myself that your old life had become easy. You know, when you first started teaching, that was very difficult too. But then, as you got into the groove of things, um, it became very easy. So you know, I had to caution myself: don't worry about all of these things. You just have to keep pressing through because there are many people who have been down this path before you. Um, who've had even more difficult uh, uh, semesters or years and um, they've made it through. So you just have to keep going. Um, I think the other piece is about the advisement. And the advisement was, you know, take this class and then, you know, hope you do well. I guess I was looking for someone that much like I had in undergrad, excuse me, in the humanities where, you know, you really sat down and you talked a lot and was very encouraging. I felt that I was right in the same situation again from undergrad with the discouraging advisor. Oh, you know, I don't know if you can do this. You, you got this grade in this class, even though I looked at it like, well, (laughs) you know, this is a really good grade. So what's, what's the problem? Um, so trying to deal with that. And then finally, other students who are 10 years your junior who grasp concepts three times faster than you do. And again, trying to realize, okay, you're you're not an undergrad anymore. These individuals might have taken this class before. That's why they're in the post um, or they just naturally just might understand what's going on where you need to actually humble yourself and find a tutor and I, I think that when second semester came and i you know had time to decompress over winter break that's exactly what happened I had to go out and find a tutor and then i think that that helped um, that helped the semester go a little more smoother um, but the positives for me again coming from a teaching background is that I was very organized. So (laughs) I was a kid, I was almost like the kid that started, you know, elementary school the first day with notebooks that were color coded and labeled and everything. So that helped me be, become ready for class. Um, but trying to, um, learn all of this information and put it into some type of, uh, to compartmentalize the information in my brain and then connect the concepts because I knew that I would need the concepts for the MCAT, um, I found difficulty in that. And so that's one of the deficiencies that I'm trying to make up for now and um, trying to um, not necessarily relearn all the information because that's impossible, but going back and saying, okay, well, you know the concepts, find the concepts, put these concepts to work for you, and then now you're going to have to figure out how to beat this test through these concepts. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now uh, in terms of uh, my preparation for, uh, for the MCAT.
0: Okay. You, you've given us a ton of great information today. I want to ask one final question that I like asking. Okay. What do you know now that you wish you knew going into the whole process?
1: Um, this, it, it seems very specific for me, um, but what, what I had to realize is that everyone is not at the same point that I was at. And that is, um, you have a lot of students who are frantic about the process and frantic about medical school. And they're frantic because this is their first real job or this would be their I mean, it's a profession and it's something, but, but at the end of the day, it, it it's a job that you do. And I had to remind myself that people, many of these people have just graduated the year before or this past, you know, a couple of months ago, you on the other hand have been out and you've been working for the last 10 years. So when you offer advice and you tell students, don't get worried don't get yourself so worried up about uh, of this big exam. I mean of course study but don't get yourself worried about the big exam. you have to be careful with how you give um, advice and information to other people because they might not be receptive of that. So I think what I would have told myself is you you just just understand that you're not a teacher anymore in this particular setting and you have to let people, vent if that's what they want to do. And you have to be a colleague and not an adult. Although you're 10 years there, they're adult. You have to be a colleague and listen to what they say. You don't have to get frantic like them, but you also have to realize that you can't be so lax about everything because the journey that you've taken to get here is completely different than the journey that someone else has
0: taken. Well, folks, that was Torre. Again, he's a post-bacc student at Charles Drew University. I just want to make one quick note on what he said at the end. He had mentioned that the advice pertained closely to him and his personal situation, but I disagree. I think it's great advice for everybody. You have to realize that every student that you encounter, all your classmates they, they're all at different levels and advice that you were given might not be great advice for them. So if they react badly to the advice you're giving them, that's fine. Let them work it out on their own. They study in their own way. They learn in their own way. So great advice not to kind of push yourself onto other students and other classmates. I want to thank Delvin one more time for calling in with his question Again, if you have a question you want to ask us, the number is 617-410-6747, or you can co- contact us right from uh, our contact page at medicalschoolhq.net. All of the things that we talked about in the interview today with Torre, you can find all the show notes at medicalschoolhq.net slash session8. I hope the information provided today will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.